Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for Mornings with Carmen on this Friday morning. I'm Paul Perot, usually her producer, but she and her family are on this blueberry run, I guess, to northern Indiana, right along the Michigan border. And, uh, you know, I asked her about this whole thing. She, she and her family do this every year. They go and go up there, buy a bunch of blueberries, and... And I kind of go, wait a minute, cost-wise, is this the way to do it? Because you're looking at the gas time, the hotel, because they make a weekend out of it. It's like, it's the experience, Paul. Okay, get that, get that. Plus, they do buy a lot of blueberries. Anyway, hope you, uh, um, hope she's enjoying herself, and thank you for joining us. Hopefully, you enjoy our time over the next couple of hours here on Mornings with Carmen. You know, Carmen usually starts off her mornings with, where in the word are you? Or at least she likes to do that on a, on a frequent occasion, which for me, lately, among the places I've been, is the uh, book of First Peter. Been doing that. Our church has been doing a series on that called Don't Waste Your Trials, because Peter talks a lot about that. But again, been spending time there and lately focusing in on chapter two. And I've actually been reading through the book. It's a short one, reading over and over, which is something I like to do because that way you really get to start hearing the heart of, well, the writer, in this case, Peter. And in chapter two, now, there's that section where we're called to be faithful, suffering sojourners. And in verses 13 through 17, Peter calls us, for the Lord's sake, to be subject to every human institution, ultimately fearing God, but honoring the emperor. And there's a tension that we're trying to work out in our modern day. And in a little while, uh, since it's Friday, we're going to be talking with Matt Hawkins about that, because uh, that's been played out in this corona world we live in right now. But I want to go to the verses before that. And Those verses before it, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through about 12, we are really struck. I'm really struck by how Peter tries to center us to help us understand our place in God's kingdom, who we are, our identity. And he uses multiple descriptors to explain who we are. He talks about being living stones in God's temple on earth, Christ being the cornerstone, but we are being fashioned as stones in that temple uh, to God. He also talks about being a chosen race, or if you want to get down to the word tribe, family, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's possession. So, I mean, looking at those, a chosen race, once we were not part of God's family, but God chose us to be part of a new family. From all the tribes of the earth, he's been choosing us. He's choosing people from all tribes. A royal priesthood, we stand between God and humanity seeking to bring the two together. A holy nation. We are citizens of God's kingdom above all other allegiances and a people for God's possession, which I really haven't delved in as much, but I do understand that we are treasured by God. And what hits me more than anything else, I mean, yeah, you've heard these before, but have you really sat on them and really meditated upon them? I mean, there's so many of these descriptors. Another one, for example, the church being the bride of Christ. Each of these descriptors, these identities that we have, 
um, in Christ are full of meaning, each worthy of reflecting upon and applying to our lives. Here's the key for me, because sometimes we like to focus on one, but not on the others as much. But the thing is, to really understand who we are, we need to somehow bring them all together in our hearts and minds. Like so much of the Bible, so many layers, so much time we could spend meditating on it. You, you can say, yeah, I've read through the Bible. Read it again. Meditate on it. Go through it over and over again. Even if you, like I said, one of the ways I like to study Scripture is to sit down in a book and just read it through and read it through, read it through. Use various uh, translations and such because they help bring out nuances that hopefully help you hear the heart not only of the writer, and again, this case, Peter, but the heart of God in these matters as well. Well, coming up next, we'll be talking with Matt Hawkins. Like I mentioned, we live in this COVID universe, and there's been a lot of restrictions, and a lot of churches are wondering, how do we navigate these? Some handling it one way, some another. We're going to talk about that as with Matt Hawkins, uh, who is a public theologian and former policy director for the Ethics and the Religious Liberty Commission. We'll get to him shortly here on Mornings with Carmen. The smooth sound, uh, jazz sounds there that let us know that Matt Hawkins is joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Matt. Good morning, Paul. I always thought your voice was fit for radio and wasn't sure why you were on the other side of the microphone. So it's good to hear you in action. Well, thank on the you. Front side of the microphone. Very, very nice of you to say that. Doing very... quite well. No Enjoy right. listening. Huh? Anyway, want you to talk and, to and, us. And Carmen, and, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and Carmen, Carmen will be pleased that we we are not going through with with our threat to uh, talk like pirates during the entire segments. So that that'll be good, and our listeners will appreciate it. I'm I'm sure. The reason I was getting into that was because my wife and I ourselves. recently watched Muppet Treasure Island, and yeah, of course, yeah. you know, you get into the whole pirate mind frame and mm-hmm, such, mm-hmm. and then and then there's a character in there, Jim Hawkins. And, yeah, you know, that's and, right. And, and Long Treasure John Island. Silver would call him Master Hawkins. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Did it, did it. Anyway, called him Master Hawkins, and I called you Master Hawkins this morning as we were connecting before the show. So That's it. That's it. So anyway. Okay. Let's get to so the good. real stuff at hand, okay? Ready? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. What's well, okay. Now, I, I really want to lean on you on this because as a former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, dealing with that intersection of... Yeah. Government authority, church authority, and now we are in this COVID situation. And yeah. one church in California, Grace Community Church, recently, they basically laid it out in a statement that they're going to, and they have started meeting, from what I can tell, maybe the pictures are old pictures, but they were uh, meeting full force. I saw them in the, saw the pictures of the congregation. They weren't socially distant. Anyway, tell us the full story. Yeah. I mean, what you what you understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the big picture in in uh, in California, and it looks different across the states. Uh, so let's keep in mind there's a complexity here. Yeah. Um, 
uh, California in response to COVID, um, among other places, uh, is heavily restricting the gathering, uh, large gatherings, uh, might be 10 or more people might be 50 or more, but the point is, uh, government officials are making, uh, all sorts of, uh, decisions, um, some better than others. And in my view, and in probably the views of other listeners, uh, to, uh, to stop this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the restrictions in California uh, seem to be placed pretty heavily on on houses of worship, and so uh, MacArthur's church uh, uh, went ahead and met in in opposition to this, and uh, it has stimulated a lot of discussion among our Christian circles, uh, particularly evangelicals, and uh, and and churches who uh, don't say have a. Uh, denominational hierarchy to to tell them what to do exactly. Um, and so Baptist churches are like this. And, you know, this is some of what makes Christian ethics fun, actually, um, because we have to look at, like you were doing before, lots of obligations in Scripture, not just one. And we don't have a book titled First Pandemics. in in Scripture to tell us exactly what to do. <laughs> Be helpful. Context of a pandemic situation, right? It would be helpful. Um, but nevertheless, we still believe that God's Word is sufficient for all of life. Uh, so that's what gives me confidence. And so, yes, we should look at verses uh, like First uh, like Peter 2 um, and like Romans 13 that have to do with our interaction with government authorities. Um, but we can't stop there, right? So especially when we're interpreting Scripture um, and trying to apply it to contemporary situations that aren't um, aren't directly specifically mentioned in Scripture, we need to look at a lot of different passages, right? Um, and we interpret some in, in particularly context of uh, applica- applying uh, Scripture that isn't specific to our situation. We have to interpret it with other Scripture, right? And so uh, while I agree with a lot of folks um, uh, that a lot of our government leaders, from local to federal and everywhere in between, have really fumbled the ball over the last several months in different ways uh, with re- re- in response to uh, the pandemic. Those fumbles and failures on the part of government officials don't necessarily or obviously relieve us of uh, applicable biblical doctrines. Uh, you, we talked about submission to governing authorities, of course. Um, also, uh, you know, I think the folks uh, who are at, at MacArthur's church and, and others um, say, well, what about the passage, the Hebrews 10:25 that says, do not neglect the gathering, right? Mm-hmm. Or do not forsake the gathering. Uh, and, you know, I, I was talking last week with a, a younger friend, 20-something, who was really passionate about getting the church back together and, and uh, really calling out other other people publicly, frankly, for, for being fearful for not gathering. Um, and the, the challenge, though, is we have other doctrines that, that we have to uh, account for. Um, the first chapter of Peter is pretty good because it talks about treating one, how we treat one another. Uh, and then all of the love of neighbor, which Jesus says is the second greatest command, love of neighbor, uh, is applicable in this situation. And so are the one and other passages in mm-hmm. the New Testament. All of them. There is no there is no verse that gives us an escape hatch for um, treating each other um, accordingly 
according to the one another obligations of scripture because politics or because pandemics, right? So we need to be really cautious and extend a lot of grace to different churches who are making different kinds of decisions, frankly, even down the street from one another, right? I know my church is functioning uh, in some meaningfully different ways than a church that's walking distance from them. Uh, and and uh, mainline, denomin- mainline churches uh, have direct orders from their denominations. They're going to function differently um, than the non-denominational church down the street. And given a church's, uh, you know, how many people go to a church with, you know, who are more vulnerable to COVID, they're going to make some different decisions and calculations on their part um, than a church that maybe doesn't have uh, quite a pop, maybe a population of elderly folks um, and maybe younger. And so all of these, uh, we have to extend a lot of grace to one another. There's another story with a church in California, a friend of mine, Pastor uh, Alan Cross. I was going to bring that up because I saw his— From Alabama. Did you see that? Yeah. I saw his tweet, Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was quite good. Yeah. Uh, He he laid out a tweet thread. Their church gathered uh, over the weekend, uh, and neighbors called the police. But when police showed up, they recognized that Alan's church was was being consistent— with taking uh, COVID precautions. Number one, they were meeting outside, they were social distancing, they were wearing masks, and the officers basically said, continue. And so uh, not everybody's gonna have that flexibility, frankly, in Southern California, where the weather is year-round pleasant and they have to have an outdoor structure available to them. Um, But I think that's a great example of of Alan trying uh, to navigate through a lot of these different doctrines, Uh, respect for government, care of neighbor, and loving one another, and and gathering. Um, So, you know, I think the other thing we have to do, be very cautious is about, I've I've seen a lot of... uh, are we up against the break? Yes, we are, yeah. but I'll let you finish your thought. Okay. All right. Well, um, you know, the, the other thing about this is I want to make sure that in our objection to uh, government authorities and decisions that when we start to try to fly the religious freedom flag, I want to make sure that we're not actually flying um, maybe, maybe using that as a proxy war for um, our kind of American individualism, kind of libertarian freedom uh, and that ruffling our feathers because that's different. Right than than the Christian freedom, um, and uh, other passages like uh, thinking others is more important than the, than ourselves from Philippians two one to four, um, those are equally applicable. So I just want to make sure that we're accurately diagnosing our objections uh, to some of the restrictions. And frankly, you know, there are places coast to coast that um, I think we can agree are pretty uh, have been pretty absurd, but. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to we need to work this of all play of all in all contexts. Uh, a pandemic is a good place to um, mind our local situation. What does it look like at the local and county level? What does it look like at the state level? Um, you know, metro areas are going to look different than rural areas. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you know we're going to get these small waves from time to time. You know, we need to settle in and kind of recognize that this is um, uh, we want to make sure uh, that we're loving our neighbor and understand this is going to be with us in some form or fashion for some time, not just a matter of a couple months. Um, and I think we need to make sure we're, we're checking our kind of American my way right away uh, kind of impulses um, and make sure that we're, are, we're collecting, as you indicated earlier, um, kind of the full counsel of Scripture. All right. Well, we do need to 
take a break. But when we come back, I mean, we could continue talking about this with several other angles. But I want to get on another story, you know, with uh, the NBA and the Major League Baseball back in, by the way, Twins, uh, 10 and 3. Yeah, the, congratulations. The Nats that. right now. Nats are, not, not, Nats are not, not so much doing it. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later here. But... As we continue, we'll be talking about some sports figures who, well, have made a stand for their faith, which has gotten them in a lot of hot water. But we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. This is Mornings with Carmen. This is Mornings with Carmen, 23 after the hour. I'm Paul Pro, guest hosting today. Usually I'm the... The guy running things in the background, but today I get to come up front, and that means I get to talk with Matt Hawkins on a Friday morning. And Matt, as we pivot here to a different topic, with uh, are you are you an NBA guy? I know you like Major League Baseball a lot. I enjoy basketball. I'm not much of an NBA guy. I'm more, honestly more of a college basketball oh, you're, guy. Oh, you're That's more NCAA. Okay, okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, NCAA. Go, go Mountaineers. <sighs> there you go. Well, the uh, major, uh, ne- NBA, there we go. The NBA has been starting their season again uh, in, the, in the bubble down in Orlando. And, of course, with what we've been going through the last uh, couple of months with with the death of George Floyd and some other uh, deaths and the Black Lives Matter issue, and there's just been that um, that desire to want to honor this moment. And the NBA, they're allowing the players, and pretty much universally they have been kneeling during the national anthem except for one player, and I want yeah. you to tell us about this. Yeah, so... Uh, magic uh, forward, Jonathan Isaac, um, he chose, so like you indicated, um, in, in relation to the Black Lives Matter protests, the NBA has been allowing players not only to uh, kneel during the Star Spangled Banner, but also to wear uh, shirts that say Black Lives Matter, among other things, presumably. Um, and Isaac instead chose to stand. Uh, during the national anthem, uh, and uh, good, good, some good reporting up from our friends over at World Magazine on this, and uh, so he didn't participate uh, in the kneeling, um, and nor did he wear the Black Lives Matter shirt. And he explained that it, for him, uh, that was an expression of of how he was living in his faith. So he didn't think that putting on a T-shirt for him uh, was necessarily the answer. Um, but he does believe that black lives are supported through the gospel. Um, and so this is a situation again, where we as Christians got to extend each other a lot of grace and, and sympathy, um, because, um, these kind of current cultural moments are pretty difficult. And, uh, he's, uh, you know, we want to affirm, uh, we've talked about it here in the show that the black lives do matter. And, uh, I think, uh, just like, um, Kelvin Cochran, who, um, was a, people remember the name of uh, the fire chief who was fired from Atlanta for um, uh, affirming, oh, yeah. uh, publishing his beliefs on on marriage in the context of a Bible study, and and was uh, it was taken to court uh, basically um, by the LGBT movement. Uh, he's an African American, and he uh, published an op-ed this week uh, in in Baptist Press that basically said, "Look, we can affirm Black Lives Matter, the sentiment and the expression, without having to uh, be presuming that we uh, support the particular organization." Uh, the particular BLM organization uh, tends to dabble in some pretty leftward, uh, progressive kinds of things that are well beyond uh, the scope of 
of uh, of really trying to provide empathy for our black neighbors. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think people are trying to rec- deal, deal with this, right? Um, uh, if Black Lives Matter uh, as an organization stuck just to uh, the racial reconciliation thing um, and the writing of, of racial wrongs, um, it may, that may be more strategic, but every organization uh, has its own choices. Uh, and so you have uh, athletic folks, this is now bleeding into, uh, you know, sports, um, situations, uh, and people are trying to make statements and stand out where they can and, uh, express their beliefs. Um, and I think, uh, it's a pretty bold move for Jonathan Isaac to do this, whether you agree with him or not. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, I think, uh, as protests go kneeling and wearing t-shirts is pretty, pretty minor, pretty, uh, pretty tame compared to the protest and, and, uh, destruction that we've seen over the last few months in mm-hmm. the U S. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, if a guy's expressing, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, um, and is, 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 uh, uh, taking a stand that's contrary to his, his, you know, his professional network, his entire yeah. team. I, I saw uh, him. I think we got to keep that guy in, keep that guy in your prayers. Yeah. I saw a lot of people on Twitter and some of them who are, um, you know, they're, they're Christians and they, they were hard on him, I thought. And I'm, I'm personally, I would mm-hmm. like to get your quick thought on this cause we're almost out of time, but, mm-hmm. um, okay. His basic understanding as he understands scripture and how he sees the black lives matter organization, he, he was working under his conscience and I'm trying to think yeah. of the Romans passage, but basically understanding if your conscience is telling you not to do something, don't do it because that would be yeah. sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so he his part of his objection is that he uh, a quote from his is that he couldn't, quote, kneel before anything but God, Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think that's something that's a mm-hmm. that's a that's a worthy personal ethic. Uh, not everybody, um, not all Christians may uh, take to that this particular way. But look, if he's consistent about that um, in, in other contexts, I think more power to him. I think you're right. There's a, there's a uh, we respect the soul freedom of people. Uh, we respect each other's consciences um, on things that are, you know, not explicit in Scripture. Right. And so right. this is one of those areas where um, I think if, if someone has a, a personal conviction about something, uh, we need to hold that lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it doesn't conflict with uh, obvious scriptural principles. Um, so we got to pray for the guy. Yeah. So, well, we're going to have to leave it there. Matthew, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. All right. This is Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> 32 after the hour. And thank you for tuning in to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot, guest hosting today. And coming up next... We're going to talk with Dan DeWitt from the Theo Latte blog. I've got a question for you. Ever? Okay. I, I, I bet this is a universal, oh, yeah. But thinking back in your early Christian walk, or maybe just as a teenager, the things you thought of who were that were so right and you were so convinced of and you were so passionate about, and you're just kind of going right now and going, dumb, 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 dumb. Well, Dan DeWitt has had a few moments about that lately. And, well, we're going to talk about that shortly. Thanks again for tuning in for Mornings with Carmen. Well, a couple of weekends ago, there was the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. You're saying, well, thanks for telling me that, Paul. I mean, I missed it. Actually, it was a virtual event, so all the sessions were recorded. 
And we're still making them available so we can give you the extended online access pass between now and the 15th. You can go to Northwestern Christian Writers Conference and for a $100 ticket price, you can go back view all the breakout sessions at your own pace. Some of the videos from the Pro Advice Room, I mean, some really good questions and answers back and forth, really good there, plus the keynote speech with uh, Dr. Alicia Britsholi, and, you know, it's, it's there for you. So if writing is something that's a passion for you, whether as a blogger or wanting to get into books, check it out. Go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Dan DeWitt with us shortly here on Mornings with Carmen. Everyone desperately wants to be heard. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's not bad to have an opinion, but for teens, there are two volatile elements. The invitation to publicly express personal opinion and the immaturity and irresponsibility they're still growing out of. Combine those two things and what do you get? A recipe for disaster and broken friendships. You see, when a teen is allowed to share opinions publicly, it often morphs into a mockery of others, judgmental statements, or just plain old meanness. Mom and Dad, pay careful attention to the opinions your teen is sharing in a digital age. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm guest host Paul Perot, and I got to admit something. Okay, I came to know the Lord in my early teens. This takes me back to like late 70s, early 80s, and I got caught up in the whole, you know, eschatology thing, late great planet Earth, all that stuff. I, I went pretty deep into that for a while and got very vocal about it, and it was just one of those, right now I look back and kind of go, Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> we all do that. And actually, Dan DeWitt was bold enough and transparent enough to talk about that in a couple of articles on his blog, Theo Latte. And Dan is a regular bi-weekly Friday guest. Hey, Dan, how are you doing? Doing great. Great to be with you, Paul. Good morning. All right. Bear your soul. What were some of those, <laughs> du- <laughs> what were some of those dumb things that you got yourself thinking oh, back man. in the day? You could go on, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, one of this is not in the blog, okay. but one of the most, um, I guess, clear signs of just God's sense of humor is a. I was suspended from school um, in early high school, um, and the teacher who suspended me and caught me doing something bad years later was sitting in my office when I was the dean of a college um, with her own son to enroll him in the school that I was the dean of. And it was just a reminder that even though we could do some incredibly dumb things, God can redeem dumb people. And I, for one, um, am, am the president of that club, I suppose. So, yeah, I've done some dumb things. Looking back, I wrote a couple of blog posts. One, as a parent, what are some dumb things um, that I said and thought back when I was a youth pastor? And then I wrote another blog post as a professor. What are some dumb things I said and thought as a student? Well, I want you to focus on the dumb things you thought as a student because, okay, I I have someone who I love dearly uh, struggles with this very issue because um, not that – let me put it this way. She feels, okay, because I am not educated in this way, I'm 
dumb or I'm not as spiritual. Yeah. And what a load of, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, one of the you know, one of the things that's wonderful about this time of the year is we're about to, at Cedarville, about to welcome a thousand, nearly a thousand new students onto campus. And they come with all kinds of excitement and enthusiasm and naivete. And there's something just glorious about that. So in one sense, mm-hmm. I want to say, God bless your heart. That's sweet and wonderful and love Jesus. And just know by the time you graduate, a lot of these false impressions, um, those bubbles are going to be popped. And some of them, um, praise God, they'll be popped. And one of them is this idea that education somehow makes someone smarter or more spiritual. And it's just simply not true. So I grew up in a farming community. Um, Some of the smartest people I know were farmers who were entrepreneurial, who learned um, to make a living and care for their family. They loved the Bible. They loved the Lord. Some of them were some of the most spiritual people in the church. And when I was a college student, I began to kind of look down on people who didn't have an education. And I realized at some point, God graciously allowed me to realize that's just not the case. Education doesn't make you more spiritual, and it certainly doesn't make you smarter in some ways, can narrow your focus. So if you think about a professor like me or one of my colleagues, um, we get a a PhD, a terminal, as my friend likes to say, it's a PhD. Um, We get a PhD (laughs) and you get a terminal degree and you have such a narrow scope of what you're researching. And so if you want me to talk about the influence of postmodernism on youth ministry paradigms in the 21st century of the Western church, I could wax eloquently for a little bit because I wrote a dissertation about it. But that doesn't mean I'm an expert on everything. Mm-hmm. And so we have to recognize they have—professors do have expertise, but for the most part, when they're talking about the Bible, um, unless it's their little area of focus, they have a broad understanding and a broad knowledge. They have some skills they bring to it. But you have the same access to the Word of God, whether you have a degree or not. A professor is not smarter or more spiritual. You're not limited if you don't have a degree um, with what God can do with your life. Peter Kapsner, who's one of our regular guests, plus sometimes uh, uh, substitute host here on Mornings with Carmen, will say, because he's got his Ph.D., that he's studied more more about less and less, less and less until at some yes. point anybody with a Ph.D. knows a lot about nothing. That, there's a, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. And I've got a, a quote on my wall. I'm literally looking at it right now. And it's a sketch of G.K. Chesterton with a quote under it that says, without education, we're in a horrible and deadly danger of taking educated people seriously. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's so. a second half of this, uh, the two prong you said. You, you're talking about the education and they're smarter, but this more spiritual aspect, because mm-hmm. I think that is... That, I think, is uh, the bigger issue here, because you bring up the whole 1 Corinthians 13 thing. Go. Cool. Yeah. yeah, you know, the, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, and so we, we have to recognize that that is not just possible, it's likely that we're going to struggle with areas of pride as we, you know, are seen as being smart, as we're being perceived as having Um, kind of being a content expert. And so the Bible warns us of that. And then it constantly puts us, pushes us towards love, that faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest thing. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how Christians should use their gifts, whatever those gifts are. And in that chapter, um, in the chapter preceding that, we see how there is going to be jealousy, you know, between the parts of the body, as it were, whether you're a foot or the mouth or whatever. Um, But Paul says, use those gifts and love. And so 
if you're a um, someone with a lot of education, you are going to struggle with the temptation of pride. Not only that, you, you maybe you don't have um, advanced degrees, but people in your church know you study the Bible a lot. That itself can become a source of pride. Mm-hmm. So what we all have to do is just come back to that humble position of um, what God has given me by way of knowledge or education or whatever or skill um, is a gift. Everything I have is received. I've not earned it. And then use it to love one another. All right. 45 after the hour. When we uh, come back after this brief break, I want to change gears a little bit because you got a new article just up dealing with this idea. You know, when we see complexity in the designs of the universe, you know, a lot of us will say, well, that's evidence of a God. Some people say, no, E.T. We'll get to that shortly here on Mornings with Carmen. I love that theme song from, was that 1983, I think it was, E.T.? Anyway, I'm Paul Perrill. This is Mornings with Carmen talking with Dan DeWitt. You saw that movie in the theater, a a drive-in, that is, recently. You know, the drive-in theater where you could watch a movie and smell bug spray all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I prefer the smell of popcorn, even though I do not. I generally, you know, when, when I go to the theater, it's like... Somebody say, like, my wife will get a big thing of popcorn. I'll have, like, maybe one part of a handful, and I'm done. I The smell is great. I'm not a big fan of Man, popcorn. You just ruined the moment. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. Anyway, but, we're— you know, when you're downwind from someone, you're eating your popcorn and you're downwind from someone who's putting on excessive bug spray, that can also ruin the popcorn. Oh, experience. yeah. Oh, that— some things just don't mix. Some, anyway, uh, other things that don't mix is uh, intelligence or design and, uh, well, uh, aliens? I don't know. Anyway, you wrote about this on your Theolatte blog. Tell us about it. Yeah, you know, one of the the interesting things in terms of um, trying to think about the way people see the world, what we call worldview, uh, which is a term that's used all over the place. And it simply means just that, the way you see the world. And it's based on certain fundamental commitments. So when people hear like uh, terms like worldview analysis or worldview studies, sometimes they get intimidated. What they don't realize is that most worldviews can boil down to one or two categories. I mean, it's uh, there's a two or three basic categories that all worldviews can fit in. Here's a couple of them. One, this world is not all there is. And so when you see things that look like they're designed, um, you your worldview, your commitment would be there's something beyond this world that made this world. That's why it looks designed. There's a designer. The other worldview would be a way that would say that the world is all there is, that this is it. And so if we see something that looks designed, we need to find an explanation within this world. So we could describe these two ways of looking at the world. One would be as, bot- as top-down knowledge, that there's there's something outside of this world who can reveal truth to us. The other way of seeing it is bottom up. Everything we're going to understand about ourselves and the world around us, we have to just figure out from where we're at on this little planet. And so when it comes to seeing design, you see these two worldviews responding regularly. People will look out and say, look at the eye, the human eye, for example. It looks designed. There must be a designer. Or look at our DNA. Um, Francis Collins, who was the head of the Human Genome Project, after studying DNA, published a book called The Language of God. The Mm -hmm. DNA actually is a language. But then you'll have somebody like Richard Dawkins, who I pointed out yesterday, who said, when you see design, you should just think 
aliens. Aliens. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> now, explain this a little bit more. I mean, okay, uh, how do they know about these aliens? Well, you know, this really goes back to another famous scientist who's deceased, Francis Crick, and Francis Crick um, and his one of his colleagues promoted a view that there could be real design in our planet that helped facilitate um, beings like us who could reflect on our experience and write blogs and write books and that kind of thing. How do we get this kind of intelligent life here on this planet? And Francis Crick said, you know, it does look like it's designed, but it needs a natural explanation. Again, it's bottom-up. We need to explain it within our own system of our world. There's nothing outside of it. So maybe there's some architect somewhere in the world that's a highly advanced, um, evolved being who has directed design into our planet so that there would be um, intelligent life, and that is an alien. And this is, even though it sounds absurd, it's a view that's called directed panspermia, probably not a word most of your listeners thought they would hear. It's a, a word Friday of the day, day. panspermia. <laughs> Incorporate that into, you know, coffee talk today. Um, But the reason that this is attractive is because it it would explain design, that there is some designer out there, but the designer is themselves the product of natural evolution. And it shows up in movies all the time from um, years ago, Nicolas Cage, the movie Knowing, um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Ultimately, you have aliens who are the architects of life. Even the whole franchise, Aliens, ends with the fact that aliens are the engineers of life. So it shows up in movies all the time. And Dawkins says, if you find evidence that looks like it's design, um, you need to not think about God, but rather think about these aliens. But doesn't it just seem you're pushing back the argument because you don't want to face up there is a designer, so you just keep yeah. pushing. It's just this pushback thing. Yeah, it's it's again, you would then need an explanation for where the aliens came from. And... Um, What we would say is that God is the ultimate cause of all things. Philosophers for centuries, even who aren't Christians, have seen this as a better way of making sense of the world, um, that you have a cause that is himself uncaused. And another way to say that is that he's eternal. And so when we as Christians talk about God, we're not in the place of needing to explain where God came from, because we're saying that God is himself eternal and uncaused. So every effect has a cause, right? So every effect has a cause. God is not an effect. We are the effect of our, you know, our parents at some point um, falling in love. Um, God him- is himself the ultimate cause. And when we talk about God, it's different than when an atheist would say these aliens, because they need to explain where the um, the base properties that would eventually evolve into a galaxy and eventually evolve into aliens who could then seed Earth with, you know, intelligence, where where they came from, and you're absolutely right. It just pushes it back one level. I want to say one more, just word of caution for Christians who yeah. want to throw up their hands and say, that's really silly, and how stupid is that? It does seem really silly, but if you grew up in a secular household, in a lot of ways, this is just man's best attempt to make sense of things from the bottom up. What Christians, we believe, is God in his kindness and mercy revealed from top down. And not only did he reveal truths about us, that he visited us himself, what Christians celebrate as Christmas. Mm. Actually, it's interesting to bring that up because toward the end of your article, you talk about um, C.S. Lewis and a little bit of Dante in there too, but yeah, I don't know if you can bring this out very clear. Can you do it in a minute? Can you do it in a minute? <laughs> 
Yeah. So C.S. Lewis said that if we were to try and figure out the world, just looking inside the world, we're never going to find God in the same way that um, Hamlet, who was created by Shakespeare, um, Hamlet as this created character in a created world would never find the author. But on the other hand, the author's presence is everywhere um, recognizable in the sense that Hamlet's world was created by Shakespeare. But what Lewis said is if Hamlet would ever know Shakespeare, Shakespeare would have, actually have to enter the story to write himself into the story. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we believe God did just that. And so Lewis uses the example of Dante as well, who um, is the author of his poem, The Divine Comedy, but he's also a character in the comedy. And as Christians, we believe there's something very similar to that. God created the world, but he's also entered it in a way that we can know him and know truth about ourselves and the world around us. And that, again, is top-down knowledge um, that helps explain and make sense of the whole show. Mm, I'm going to walk off with that. that or let you walk off with that, because that's just a great point for us. But hey, Dan, thanks for joining us this week on Mornings with Carmen. Catch you in a couple. Thanks. Well, one hour down, another to go. Hope you stay with us next hour for another hour of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Pro filling in today for Carmen, who's on a blueberry hunt with her family. Hey, we're talking about movies a little bit there with, uh, with Dan DeWitt, who saw the movie E.T. Well, I just saw this in the news this morning. Walmart turning parking lots into drive-in theaters. A retailer confirming they're going to be showing... Movies in 160 store parking lots starting next Friday through October 21st. They're going to do classic movies. E.T., Wizard of Oz, Black Panther, The Iron Giant, stuff like that. Now, you have to reserve a parking space. So what you need to do is go to at thewalmartdrivein.com to do that. I know we're trying to find things to do during this COVID season. And, hey, it's socially distanced and fun and... Okay, I don't know about the popcorn issue, if they're going to do how well they'll do in the smell of popcorn, but we'll give that a shot. Coming up next hour, we're going to go to the movies, kind of. be talking with Paul Asay from Plugged In in just a few moments, so stay with us. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.